Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to everyone with us online right now from many different locations or in the car going to or from a soccer tournament. Before we get into today's message, I have a very important announcement. We're going to have a little bit of a family meeting before the sermon. Is that all right? We're going to have a little family meeting before the sermon. Is that all right? Um, Although this might not be news to many of you, because members and regular attenders here received a letter in the mail uh, recently, this month we are starting a nine-month campaign that we are calling Made for More, and our goal in this campaign is to be completely debt-free as a church family. Now, I'm going to call you out, because if I said we want you as an individual family to be completely debt-free, you would have hollered a lot louder. As a church family, we want to be completely debt-free here at Redeemer. Come on. Next summer happens to be the point in which we have to pay off our loan or refinance the loan. And our finance committee, our leadership team, our executive team on staff, we all sense that God is calling us to pay off that loan rather than refinance. We believe that collectively, above and beyond our general budget, which was just approved at our congregational meeting, above and beyond, we believe that we collectively can raise $1.4 million. It's very doable as a church family. Where's that 1.4 going to go? Next July, what we're going to owe at that point on our, on our facility, on our mortgage, is $940,000, and we want to send a check off and be debt-free. But I said 1.4, not 940. Where's the other uh, resources going to go? We're going to contribute $160,000 to Mission of Hope Haiti to fully fund four trade schools for two years, a nursing school a ministry training school, an English school, and a school that educates teachers. We're going to sow $150,000 to match giving towards a construction campaign at Bixby Outreach Center. So we're not just going to pay off debt at Redeemer, but we're also going to make a significant commitment missionally right here in our community, right? That's our Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth in Haiti. By the way, we're currently starting our second year of a ministry training school in Haiti with over 40 students that you are fully funding. And this is training people to know how to understand and then also teach the Bible. So we're releasing Bible teachers in that nation. And I'm I'm just, I got to go to the ribbon cutting last year as we started year one. So this two year is actually going to make it four years that we've covered a ministry training school in Haiti. Um, then this is the real sexy part of the campaign that everybody loves. $150,000 is going to go towards parts of our roof that need to be replaced and also 12 air conditioning units above us right now that are original to 2003 construction 
And we're spending more money maintaining those, doing maintenance, than it would be to actually replace them. So this is a stewardship move to stop paying for parts and just replace them all together. So if paying off debt does not excite you, and if you're not excited today about local mission, and if you're not excited today about international mission, I hope you're excited about cool temperatures inside in August. So give. Um, Our executive team met months ago and started praying about this and discerning this process. And when we met, we wrote down, we, we collaborated around the table and, and wrote out the why. Why do we sense God calling us in this direction? I actually have the exact paragraph that we wrote together. I'm going to read it for you. By eliminating debt and reallocating resources, we will better accomplish our vision in our church, community, and world. As we eliminate $220,000 per year dedicated to our mortgage on a 5.5% interest rate, we will have financial freedom to invest in our people and mission more than ever before. Accomplishing this goal has the potential to change the trajectory of Redeemer Church both immediately and in the decades to come. Collectively, we can cement Redeemer's legacy as a 100-plus year church that will reach and serve and care for our future generations. We're not trying to do all this uh, just for us. This is for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that we're sowing into in this campaign. So much like you monitor your own individual finances and want to do what is best for your family financially, that's what we're doing as a church today. We're doing what we believe is best financially for Redeemer. Let me state the obvious. It's natural to think right now about current events and economic instability and the stock market and inflation and begin to wonder, why are we doing this right now? Uh, Is this the best time to do this campaign? Trust me, if I had $100 for every time I've had that thought or prayed that prayer, we wouldn't be doing a campaign. It would be funded fully. But every time I utter that prayer or I ask that question, I'm reminded that we are the people of God and we don't look at what's going on around us in this world. We look straight ahead at where God is calling us. And at uncertain times is the perfect time, not when things are comfortable and not when things are convenient, but at uncertain timing is the perfect time to demonstrate our total trust in God through sacrificial giving. Are you with me? So I'm asking you, I'm asking you today to begin praying about making a contribution towards this campaign above and beyond your current tithe. By the way, if you are a member here or call this place home, hey, tithe. People ask me, why tithe? I want to say back, why not? It's, it's a joy and it's a gift to use the resources God has given us and return faithfully and obediently a portion of that to him. And then I, asked, I got asked this question, but that's an Old Testament principle. And I said, oh, so you must tithe more than 10%, right? If you tithe 10% in the Old Testament era, what's the difference? Jesus came, he ministered, he died, he resurrected, and he offered you salvation, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Why would you give less? Is that an okay question around here? Why would we give less? Please pray about that. Pledge cards were included in those envelopes with the letter. There's also copies of that letter and more pledge cards in the lobby at the Connect Point. 
I'm excited about this. But that concludes our family meeting. Let's get to the sermon. We're in week two of our series, A Firm Foundation, in which we are looking and examining our covenant affirmations that are the foundation on which Redeemer stands. I shared them last week with you, but let me review those for you now. We affirm the centrality of the Word of God. We affirm the necessity of new birth. We affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. We affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. We affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. And today's emphasis is this. We affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to lean into this conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. But first, a few remarks about the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, along with numerous other locations in the Bible, introduces the Trinity, the triune nature of God. It reads, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you see all three here? God the Father gets a lot of credit in the church because we love the creation story, the creation narrative. God the Son, Jesus Christ, gets a lot of credit in the church because we love that he came and died for us so that we could be saved and be made one and receive that title as heirs of Christ, with Christ and sons and daughters of God. And God the Holy Spirit, crickets, right? So we're focusing on this today. Perichoresis is the Greek term that introduces to us the nature, the triune relationship, and how the triune God relates with one another. This concept of one God, yet three in one, has given the church fits throughout history because it is perplexing. It really is hard to wrap our minds around the Trinity. In the fourth century, long before our denomination was born, a theologian named Arius resolved this, that God, in an attempt to relate to an ever-changing world, created an intermediary instrument named Jesus. This is from Arian in the fourth century, that God created Jesus, meaning Jesus has not always existed, but God created Jesus. So in response to this controversy, the first council of Nicaea formed the Nicene Creed, in A.D. 325. Specifically, the creed clashed with Arianism by stating that Jesus Christ is begotten but is not created by God. So if you checked out in the sermon a few minutes ago when I was talking about what Arian... I'm not preaching that. All right? I'm with the, the Nicene Creed here that Jesus Christ is begotten, not created by God. The conclusion was that Christ is fully divine, of the same substance as God and co-eternal with God. One of my favorite explanations of the Trinity is from Alistair McGrath, and he writes, the Trinity allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. An image often used to express this idea is that of a community of being in which each person while maintaining its distinctive identity, penetrates the others and is penetrated by them. So what perichoresis maintains for you and I is that we cannot have one person of the Trinity without the other two. And you cannot have 
any person of the Trinity without having the fullness of God. Meaning, we don't remain consciously dependent on God the Father and consciously dependent on God the Son and unconsciously never thinking about the Holy Spirit. It's all three. This is, if this is still difficult for you, I offer you this from St. Augustine. Each are in each and in all each and each in all and all are one. <laughs> I read that this week and I said, what? I read it the 20th time and I said, what? It reminds me when Paul said, what I do want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do do, right? <laughs> Augustine, each are in each and each. Oh, see, I can't even read it. The theology of the Trinity is complex. It's mysterious. And we may never fully grasp the Trinity. But that doesn't mean that we don't lean in and study and learn and grow, and seek to encounter the triune God. Let me share one more thing with you, an image that has been most helpful with my personal understanding of the Trinity. It comes from theologian Justo Gonzalez. And as you look at this, notice a few things. The Father is God, but is not Son. The Son is God, but is not Spirit. The Spirit is God, but is not Father. The three persons of the Trinity are fully a part of one another, and each person of the Trinity fully possesses divine essence. You can see here that no person of the Trinity is inferior to any other, and no person of the Trinity created the other. If you have any questions about the Holy Spirit after this message, I invite you to reach out to Pastor Dave Brown. Now that we've acknowledged that the Holy Spirit is fully God, for what reasons should we remain consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives? So glad you asked that question because I have 15 reasons and there are more, but I don't have that much time. The Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ. The Holy Spirit inspires our mutual affection with one another. The Holy Spirit gives us common purpose. The Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is our wise counselor. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit is our source of power. The Holy Spirit guides to all truth. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit seals our adoption as God's children. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit works to renew and sanctify and make us holy The Holy Spirit enables us to bear good fruit. The Holy Spirit testifies to the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. These are all reasons to remain deliberately and intentionally and consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit. I went skydiving once. Has any, somebody's nodding their head. Has anyone ever gone skydiving? Raise your hand. My skydivers, where are you? Not many. You're all crazy. 
you're, you're nuts to do that. So was I. Um, I remember having the opportunity to take a lengthy class. And in that class, I would, as a result, be certified that I could jump out of the airplane solo. No thank you. I'm not, so what did I do? I, I went through a little training and watched some videos and I jumped tandem with an instructor. And here's why. When I finally was convinced by friends to jump out of an airplane, I thought, I don't want to do that unless I'm physically attached to someone else who wants to go home that night, who wants to have dinner with their loved ones. So I had a gentleman who's got thousands of jumps, and on our way out to the runway, I even said, hey man, has anybody ever died out here skydiving? And he goes, oh yeah. Super casual there, buddy. And um, I said, well, what happened with the shoot? He said, nothing. The shoot was fine. The guy landed. This was like a few months before. Guy landed and then a big wind picked the shoot back up and the rest is history. But, you know, these were the words I was hearing while we're walking to the aircraft. I, I was not going to jump out of an airplane without an instructor. I was not going to jump out of an airplane without an instructor. In the same vein, we see a conversation between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Would you turn there? And yes, I am going to make a significant point here about the Holy Spirit through the use of the Old Testament. You should try it sometime. In Exodus 33, we see this conversation. Remember, I'm not jumping out of an airplane without an instructor. Uh, Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Look at this. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I love this verse, verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us. So on a macro scale, zooming out, God is renewing a covenant with the Israelites, same covenant that he made to Abraham. 
And you can hear the urgency with which Moses speaks. He's clarifying with God right here. Are you going with us or not? Are you with us or not? God, as we read, reassured Moses that his presence would go with them. But I draw your attention back to verse 15 again. And let me read this as translated by Eugene Peterson. Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. If your presence isn't with me, I'm out. I don't want to do it. How would your life look differently? How would my life look differently if we prayed this kind of prayer every single morning? Lord, Holy Spirit, if you're not with me as I go resolve this conflict today, then I'm throwing in the towel. Holy Spirit, if you're not going to work with me, I don't want to go at all. Holy Spirit, if you're not present in this, this real difficult struggle with me, I give up. Holy Spirit, if you're not there in that interview tomorrow. Holy Spirit, if you're not there in that operating room. Holy Spirit, if you're not there in that crucial conversation that I need to have. Uh, I can't. Holy Spirit, if you're not calling me to date her, if you're not calling me to marry him, I won't. What if we prayed these prayers? Holy Spirit, I don't want to come off this mountain if you're not going with me. I need your presence. And trust me on this. You are not putting unbearable pressure on the shoulders of the Holy Spirit by praying these prayers. He can handle it, okay? You're not asking too much. In fact, has anyone ever told you that you follow and pray to the same God as Moses? If no one's ever told you that, I would love to tell you that today. You follow and pray to the same God as Moses. Meaning, Moses had no advantage over you spiritually. Say that again. Let it sink in. Moses had no advantage over you spiritually. Consider this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come, stay for a while, and for whatever reasons only known to God would then depart, right? It was a visitation culture of the Holy Spirit, the pillar of cloud. In the New Testament era, when you look at the life of Jesus, he would come and go as well. I mean, he's fully man. He's walking all over the place, right? Going all different places. But in this post-resurrection era, the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. John 14, 17, the Holy Spirit no longer visits us, but inhabits us. The Holy Spirit is here to stay. This is what a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like. To be aware at all times that the Holy Spirit is in all places, including within us and all around us. And because of that, I would even go as far to say that we have a spiritual advantage over Moses. We have a spiritual advantage over Moses. We don't pray and wait for the Holy Spirit and ask, are you going with me? 
Because if not, I'm out. Everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit is with us. Would you close your eyes for a moment? And as you do, I want you to take one minute. And maybe this is the first time you've ever done this in your life or first time in a really long time, but I invite you to take an entire minute, sit, dwell on, reflect, ponder, or simply remember that the Holy Spirit, person of God, lives in you. Ponder that for a moment. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.